Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Intentional Guy. We are on air with Tim McDonald today. Tim, it is so good to have you on our show. I'm so glad to be here, and uh, thank you for the uh, the welcome to be on with you, Mike. Well, Tim has so much in his life to tell us about. Your story is incredible, and I just want to jump right into it today. I would love for you to go ahead and just start. Tell us, tell us about Tim. Yeah, well, I am one of these people who most uh, look at, and I don't have this linear path in my career. It's always been you know, going from this job in this industry to this job in this industry and, you know, just taking my past lessons and seeing how they all connected and using it and learning and moving forward and new stuff. But, um, you know, basically I am, you know, in my mid fifties now, uh, married my second time. Um, both my wife and I have kids and now I'm a grandparent. So, um, that's a little bit about me personally, but really the, my main story that most people know me about now and what I'm going through and what is my main focus in life is, um, learning that I had, uh, stage four colon cancer in November of 2020 when it was right around Thanksgiving here in the U S. Um, I, started having, you know, as I look back, I had probably a few symptoms before that. But on Thanksgiving Day, it was just my wife and I in our house. We were grateful to be together. It was still in the midst of the pandemic and lockdowns and everything. And we were just like enjoying a meal together, wishing our kids would have been there. But, you know, just embracing the fact that we had each other. And I started having a pain in my side, in my lower right side. And it, you know, I told my wife and she's like, you know, next day I woke up, still had it. She's like, you should go to urgent care. And I'm like, I'll wait until Monday. It's a holiday weekend. I'm just going to wait. Each day it got progressively worse. So on Sunday I woke up and I just told her, I can't wait anymore. I need to go in now. And so I made an appointment, went into our urgent care center. Um, They didn't know what it was, but thought it might've been a you know, possibly a kidney stone or something like that. So they ordered a CT scan, which I couldn't get until Monday. So went home, told my wife all this, thinking it was probably going to be a kidney stone, called up Monday morning, got the CT scan. They were very insistent that I should not call them back. They would give the results to the doctor who ordered it. I needed to get the results from them. Um, It would probably be within a few hours. So I did this Monday morning. Um, The urgent care is actually in my neighborhood, so I can walk to it. And what happened was um, I got the call and I was joking with my wife before I got the call that hopefully it would just be a prescription or something that they could tell me I needed to go do. If they called me in, it was probably going to be something more involved. And I got the call. Can you come in? And I said, yes. And they're like, how quick can you get here? And I said, I can walk over. I can be there in like five minutes. Jokingly out the door with my wife, I said, I guess they're not going to have a prescription for me. So I went to the urgent care. I walked in. I knew something was going to be different because most of us all know if we've gone to a doctor or hospital or anything, you got to give them your name, fill out your registration forms, answer all these questions, take a seat, and then they bring you back into the waiting, you know, from the waiting room into uh, into a room to be seen. They were like, oh, you're Mr. McDonald. And I said, yes. And they're like, come back with us. I didn't have to fill out any forms. They brought me right to a room. And two seconds later, the doctor comes in with one piece of paper in his hand and looked at me and said, you have cancer. And I know this is like devastating words. And in the cancer industry, it's like the three words that, you know, 
all of us never want to hear. But I just looked at it and, you know, as, you know, something that I didn't realize this in a moment, but I knew something was happening. And I just said, there's got to be a reason for this and it, why it's happening to me. It's not like why poor me, but why not me, right? Like, why is this not happening to somebody else and happening to me? I need to do something with it. And I was just like laughing and smiling with him. And he was like, are you okay? Do you need me to call your wife? Do you need somebody to come over? Do you need me to bring you somewhere? You know, I mean, he was just like blown away with, with how I responded to this news. But all I kept thinking in my head was, I don't know anything about this. Just tell me what I need to do next. I don't need to know the future plans. I just need to know what's my next step. Just explain that to me. And he was like, you know, so nice knowing that I didn't really go to the doctor regularly. He was kind of my primary physician, even though he was the urgent care doctor. I see him like once a year and I've seen him for like four years. And he was just like, you know, hey, I used to work with somebody in the emergency room. Do you mind driving? I live in Tampa. He, you know, he used to work in St. Pete. He goes, it's a little bit longer of a drive, but I got a GI doctor who can do a colonoscopy on you, which you need right away. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So did all that really helped me got home, told my wife what it was. She started bawling and really sad about, you know, that this was the end. And I said, listen, this is just the start. It's like, let's just look at this as, you know, a journey that we're, we didn't ask to be on, but we need to be on. And that, and then we went and got my colonoscopy a couple of days later um, after I got my COVID test and they got it scheduled to, for me to be in there, confirmed that it was stage four colon cancer that metastasized my liver um, and then I went into, uh, you know, eventually I got into an oncologist that oncologist started treating me was very, very helpful in everything about like a new person who's never been exposed to cancer before telling you what to expect, what to go through. Some of the best advice he gave me though, was every step of the way, look for a second, third and fourth opinion. Um, you know, don't just take my word for it. If you're not happy with it, go talk to somebody else and somebody else until you get a consensus or you feel good about the decision and the advice that you're given. But long story short is I got one treatment from him, saw him a couple times. Um, he referred me to somebody closer to my house because he was all the way down in St. Pete and said, you're going to do this every two weeks, do somebody closer. I went into that doctor. My wife was not allowed into the room at that time. She had to wait in the waiting room. That doctor said, I don't know why this other oncologist had you on this chemo treatment because that causes neuropathy that can become permanent. You only have three years to live and I'm going to put you on this chemotherapy, which won't cause that and give you the highest quality standard of living while you're alive for those three years because you're going to be on chemo until you pass away. And I just, I remember the thought in my head so vividly when she said those words because I had never heard that I had like an expiration date on my life. Oh, wow. I just said in my head, that's your story, not mine. And I walked out into the waiting room. My wife asked how it went. I said, okay, we walked down the hall. We were in the elevator. I didn't tell her until we started going down the elevator, what the oncologist told me, which was that I had three years to live. And she started bawling all over again. And I just took her shoulders. I looked her right in the eye and I said, I just want you to know something. You need to believe this. And I said those words that were the thoughts in my head when I heard them. I said, this was her story, not mine. I'm going to find a way to beat this. You need to be with me. I need you. And she just like, she 
she was still crying, but she kind of was comforted by it. But, um, you know, um, you know, that kind of got me on my journey into a good cancer center here in Tampa, got on a really aggressive chemo with really aggressive side effects, but I had great results and I just, there's several things and I'm happy to stop for a minute. Um, because there's several things that I just like attribute from learning through this whole process that really helped me kind of frame my outlook on life and really be, even though it's not completely different, it's still who I am, but it's like, it's slightly different in how I adjusted my things. And I think they've made a huge, huge impact on not only my treatment and my recovery, but also on the options and the opportunities that I have in front of me. Wow. Well, yes, I want to hear all that. And, but I want to ask, so have you, have you always been this type of optimistic, optimistic person? Uh, um, I would, the short answer, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little bit more involved because I would say I'm, I've always been kind of a guy who tried to look more at the glass half full than half empty, you know, but I've, I've suffered with depression in the past, you know, especially when I was going through my divorce, um, you know, I have a temper um, that I think was brought on by not getting along with my ex and brought it into my new relationship with my current wife. Um, but it was when I started working at um, HuffPost in New York that, you know, Ariana Huffington was really big on, you know, meditation and yoga and breathing and everything else. And I was just like so open to all this that I started like thinking about it and reading and getting to know some of our bloggers and everything, this whole thing about like mindfulness and, and consciousness. And, and I started thinking about it and I was just like, wait a minute, maybe I can use some of these tactics to help change my behavior specifically with my temper. That's how it all started. And, you know, it was as simple as, I know this is going to sound very corny, but it was as simple as, when I started doing something and felt my emotions go up, I would stop and count to 10. Now that sounds stupid and it sounds so easy. It is so difficult to do when you're in the moment of something to stop yourself and just count to 10. But what I found was, and I wasn't always successful <laughs> at the beginning, <laughs> but over time, what started happening was I'd make it all the way to 10. And when I did make it to 10, what I'd realized is, those emotions that rose up were all, all of a sudden kind of subdued again. And now I was able to take the next step, which was really looking at, you know, okay, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. If I get a temper and I react a certain way, every single time there's this similar situation, what, why am I expecting something different to happen? The outcome to be different. So I need to change something. So instead of me reacting the way I did, after I kind of subdued my emotions a little bit, I started thinking, why don't I try something different? And a different way of saying it, a different choice of words, a different level of tone that I'm talking with, whatever it was, just change and see what happened. And if I liked the result, I could continue to build on it. If I didn't, I could try something else. And so I just did that. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Because I don't think any of us are. But now I don't have to count to 10. I can almost do it like in 
a fraction of a second. When I start feeling something come up, I can just do it. Sometimes I need to count to five or something still, but every once in a while, it's like just getting in that moment. So that was kind of step one, right? Of right. really understanding how in control of ourselves we are if we truly take the time to be aware of the situation that we're in. Yes. Um, the second step that I took was actually with a guy that I, I'm friends with who is starting a coaching program. And I'm not, and I know you and I talked about this before I came on the show. I'm, I don't consider myself a re very religious person today, even though I had, I was brought up Catholic. I was an altar boy. We had the, you know, the pastor over to our house for dinner, you know, I mean, right. we were, you know, we were the whole thing as growing up as a kid. So it's not like I'm, I'm anti that it's just, I'm not that now. And right. so I was always like, and I was kind of turned off and not in a bad way, just with the organized religion, but, you know, in a way that was like, not for me And my pastor, when I left the church actually told me, he goes, Tim, your relationship with God is yours. You don't need to be part of a church to, to have that. And when he told me that I just left and I was like, and I never went back. And, but when people brought up like God and, you know, prayer and everything else, I was like, I was, it just like reminded me of that past that I didn't want to go back to. And so what I did was um, this guy, this friend who was starting this coaching program phrased God in a new way to me. He said, I want you to call it God, but it can be whatever God you envision. It can be part of your ego. It can be part of, you know, a higher being. It can be part of, you know, um, science, whatever you want, but just use the word God for this. And all of a sudden I started thinking, I'm like, okay, this is a little corny, but I'm going to go through it because I want to experience this. But what he did was he started having me start to understand that there's this higher power, higher being that's more than just greater than just me. I'm in control of a lot and I'm in control of my relationship with that other thing, but I can't change that other thing. And I can't change the, the space and the environment that we're in. So it's really about me needing to learn how to work with this and understand that relationship there. And um, I really viewed for at this point, my, my process, I was looking at God as part of my ego, you know, part of my being. And a lot of it was, um, you know, this, this, and the other part of my ego, a big part of my ego was fear and understanding fear. And really what I did was I started focusing on fear. And this guy had me actually do this exercise, which again, I know sounds a little corny, but think of yourself as a script writer, right? And you don't go in with a preconceived notion of what you're going to talk about. You're just taking notes and writing down what people are saying, but you're having a conversation with yourself, but it's not you. It's your fear and your ego that you're having the conversation with. And so I actually wrote me fear, me fear, me fear. And I wrote out our conversation and it was always me prefacing it by asking fear if it was open to have a conversation with me getting fear to acknowledge that it was, and sometimes it always wasn't right. Cause sometimes I just, I just didn't feel it. it. It didn't feel like it was coming out. But when I did, I would have a conversation. I would go through what I was hearing from my fear, what it was telling me, asking it to expand on that. And what I learned was every time I did this, fear was trying to protect me from hurting myself. And 
as I looked at it and I asked reasons for that, all the reasons were things that had happened in the past that it was relating to things that would happen in the future or taking things from the past and projecting out into the future what would happen because of things that happened in the past. And I started saying, but I've learned from that. I've moved on. And we started having this dialogue. And as I kind of asked fear its permission to let me just experiment with this and see where it led, it would say, okay. And at the end, I'd be like, thank you so much. Do you mind if we revisit this? And I do this for months on end. And over, and this is only like five years ago, six years ago. And when I did this, I started understanding that most of the fear that we have is this irrational fear that is not things that are truly endangered to us. You know, I mean, obviously if we run in front of a, you know, a, a locomotive, right. On the tracks, right. Th that's real fear. We are going to get injured or killed. Um, if we jump out of an airplane without a parachute, we are going to get injured or killed. That's a real fear. Um, you know, if you're sitting in front of a tiger and you decide to punch it in the face, that's real fear. You're going to probably be attacked by that tiger, right? And so th there are real fears. That's the fight and flight instinct that I think all of us have as humans. But what our fear, our ego fear has done to us is it's taken those things and masked all of our irrational fears into being rational fears. And so as I started looking at this, I started understanding. And so now this whole process of, you know, these conversations that I actually wrote out are conversations that I have in my head that take like 10, five seconds. And it's like, it's so quick now because it's just instinctual. Like if fear starts popping up and saying, you're going to get hurt if you do this, you're going to get embarrassed if you do this, nobody's going to like you if you do this. I can just say, fear, I got this. Thank you. I'll be back and you can prove me wrong if I'm wrong, but let me just have my way. And it goes. And that's the conversation I have in my head. And it lasts like five, 10 seconds. And I'm like, so it just changed my outlook on life about really not being fearful about too much anymore and being willing to take chances and go through this. So that kind of got me to the place where when I heard those three words, you have cancer, that I didn't look at it as my fear popped up for a second and said, this is going to change your life and you're done for to, you know, okay, thank you. You can go away now. I need, this is something unknown. Neither of us have experienced anything like this before. Let me take a chance. Let me see what happens. And I think because of that and because of my attitude going into this, that I've been open to receiving, you know, whether it's, you know, my ego, my God, my fear, you know, I receive it, but I only take what I need from it. And I ask them to let me, you know, to trust me to move forward with the rest. And that's been a big part of my journey. But after I was diagnosed, I probably spent the first couple of weeks, like really trying to understand what this meant. You know, I knew it was meaning something for me, but I didn't know what it meant. And I wasn't really telling too many people. Some of my close family and my close friends knew, but I didn't, I'm very active on social media. I'm a very open person and I wasn't sharing it. And I felt like I needed to, but I didn't know how to do it. And then it just clicked with me one day. I said, you know, Tim, your whole life, you've been open about your journey. You've shared what you've gone through and it's helped other people. What you need to do is you need to be open about what you're going through, the highs and the lows, share it. And most of all, my main focus at that point in time was to inspire other people to get screened for colon cancer 
before it turned into cancer. Mm. Because usually if you catch it early enough, it just polyps, they can remove them and you're good. And, it, you know, pe- I see people still to this day complaining about getting colonoscopies and the prep for it. I'm sure if you're 45 yeah. or have a family history of colon cancer, everybody understands what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, it's not a fun process to go through. But what I always I try and do it in a very jovial way is I will say, hey, I know it might not be the funnest thing to go through, but it's a lot better than going through chemo every two weeks. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> Well, what you're describing too, I mean, is basically coping skills that we've that we learn. A lot of people are resistant to that, resistant to something that they've never tried before or did before. But when you're faced with something you've never been faced with before, you're a little bit more willing to to try that. And I've learned I I actually do some of the same thing. I've I've battled with depression and some other stuff. Uh, fear and shame and guilt have been my best friend, but no longer because kind of what you've expressed there. I, I believe everything's a choice, and you've got you can choose to let life lead you, or you can choose to lead life. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you today. And it's really true because one of the things I like telling my, I'm a process guy, is telling my viewers, sometimes you've got to step outside of your comfort zone and learn something new, but it's so beneficial because it can change your outcome. Because for me, watching you going through the things that you are in life, but have the, the outlook that you have, the positive side, it's not only inspirational, but it's also got to be healing for you as well. Because negativity, if you just let it overwhelm you, that can make you sick sometimes as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, you know, there's one thing that this has taught me when I heard those that expiration date on my life Mm. is it was just a slap in the face, figuratively, not literally, (laughs) right? that life is short and the one thing that's guaranteed is death. Yeah. And everything that happens in our life, we might not like the choices, yeah. but we have choices That's and right. we can choose how to deal with it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the big thing for, for me is just under understanding that, you know, we can't change what happened. And the more time we spend trying to figure out why something happened or why was it me? Or what if I did this or, I can't do this because of this. All these things are negative thoughts that take time and energy from you that take away from your time here right now. And that's like the beautiful thing to me is like, you know, I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, you know, I mean, I remember I was six, five months into treatment and I said, I wanted to go on a trip. And because we had a a couple of free nights in, in a resort in Cancun and I'm like, I want to go on a trip. And she goes, we can't go. You're too sick. You're too weak from the chemo. And I'm like, I'll be fine. I'll get a nice room. You can go down to the pool. If I'm not feeling good, I'll go up and take a nap. It'll be fine. Well, she was so, I mean, I did everything. I booked it. She was going because I wanted to. We ended up having a great time. Our very good friends came out and, and 
came with us just to keep her company because they knew how she was feeling. And I ended up meeting a guy that I went to high school with that I hadn't seen since high school. He recognized me at the pool. He was there with his wife. And so we ended up like all six of us ended up spending the last couple of nights having dinners together and everything. It was just like, and at the end of it, it was just like, my wife was so glad that we did it and we experienced it, but that's how I am about everything now. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big planner about what's going to happen in, in five years or 10 years because I'm not there right now. I'm here right now. And so what do I want to experience today? You know, what do I want to experience right now in this moment? And those are like, I mean, obviously we plan this, right? We put it on a schedule. We, we planned it out in the future. So there is a little bit of planning. I'm not saying I'm not an anti planner. I do plan, but I'm much more embracing the moment of where we're at and what we're going through more so than worrying about what I'm going to be doing at some point in the future. Well, and you're, you're, you're focusing on the positive aspects of life versus letting the negative aspects of life dictate who you are. And, and for the longest time I did that, I I took my identity was wrapped around the most negative parts of my life, most negative things that happened. And one day I was like, I get to choose what my identity is. I don't, why am I letting it be based on that? And once you get to that level, uh, your outlook, it, it's just so freeing to me because of the outlook that you can, ten, you can have when you make that choice. Well, and, and Mike, I, I mean, it sounds like you've been through, you know, a lot and really changed things. And I know I have been. And the one thing that I like to share with people is if we truly and honestly, I don't like the word honestly, candidly look back on bad things that have happened in our lives. We can usually remember how bad and how much they hurt during that time. Mm -hmm. But as we look back on them, those moments have brought us to where we are today. Yep. And I mean, my divorce was one of the, I mean, I took my vows very seriously till death do us part. And I did not want to get divorced. My parents had gotten divorced. I, I was not going to get divorced, but I didn't even realize it at the time. But what I was doing was I was driving myself into this deep, dark depression yeah. because I didn't want to get divorced. And when I, when I finally made a decision to leave, it shined a light that I hadn't seen in years. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I, I can I can take that. I can take jobs that I've been let go of or companies that have closed and or moves that I made and and you know friends that I've left or you know relationships that I've left, but then it opened the door for new ones. It opened the the door for new opportunities for work. It oper it opened up the opportunity for new relationships and a new wife that I have now who is like my my life partner. I never said that about my ex-wife, right? She was just right. my wife, my my high school sweetheart who is my wife and the mother of my kids but she was never my, my life partner. And now I have a life partner. And I mean, I've never had that before. And yeah. it, I'm, I'm blessed to have that. But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go through what I went through and the pain and the hurt and the situations that I, I'm, my fear has always told me, avoid, avoid, avoid. Yes. Well, if I would have avoided that, I wouldn't have what I have now. Correct. <laughs> and, and those are character building moments for us as well. It was for me. Once I realized that and turned it around, you know, I was able to take my failures. I, I don't want to repeat them, but you can learn so much. I am more, I like what you said, because I am 
my character today, my successes have been great, right? They've been great. But these fail, failures in my life or these bad moments, negative moments, have been more influential in getting me to where I am today than the successes were. So we have to have those things in life in order for us to grow. The, uh, call them growing pains, call them whatever you want, but we, none of us can escape those. We yeah. have to have them. We get to choose, though, what we do with them. And I've watched so many people who just repeat them over and over again and never grow from them. I don't want to be that person. I, want, I don't want to repeat that painful moment again. I want to grow from it and, and, and live life and live life and be happy. Well, I think those painful moments are the process that we go through to get where we're going. And the successes are the achievement of that process of, of that journey. But it's not like the final destination, right? right? But the success is the the destination, but it's the destination for that moment in time. And like you said, that success really doesn't teach you as much as what you had to do to get to there that point. Right. And so now you just need to put yourself into this other position that's getting back into your uncomfort zone right and right. and learning i mean don't just jump in to hurt yourself and go through pain but put yourself in a maybe uncomfortable situation where you start to learn something new so that you can grow again and get to that other success level and so it's it's just this this continual process and i don't like to look at it as you know i think too many of us always look at we need to climb the hill to get to the top and sometimes when we just take a step to the side, we can see this beautiful lake that's over to the side that we didn't see when we were standing right in front of the mountain. And that's really where we wanted to be because we're scared of heights and we don't want to be there. But we love being by the water and seeing trees and greenery and we can just be there. And and so it's it's never about like just figuring you're on this one path to get to this one destination. It's about just taking that next step to see where that next step can lead you. And you might find opportunities that you never thought were possible when you just take that next step. Yeah. Yeah, man. I resonate with that completely. Tim, before we, we run out of time here, I want to ask you this question. So we, we've got this part of your story. Where are you today? Where are you today? I know we have a website, timsliver.com. <laughs> Uh, I want to make sure we hit light on that, but tell us, take a few months, tell us where you're at today. Yeah. Well, um, I have undergone two different cycles, well, two primary cycles that one really aggressive one of chemo. And then now I'm on like one of the standard ones that doesn't cause neuropathy in my, in my toes and fingers. But, um, every scan I've had has shown either reduction of the tumors or no growth, no spreading. Wow. And so I was, I had, my colon was almost completely blocked when I was diagnosed and my entire liver was covered in, in cancer. Mm. Um, so now almost, well, it's over a year and a half um, later, almost, you know, going on two years. Um, I have had a colon resection to remove part of my colon where the tumor was. That was actually no signs of cancer when they did the biopsy on it. So now the only cancer I have left is in my liver. It's wow. very controlled. It's very managed. Um, but I was, as I educated myself, as I started learning what opportunities there were, I started learning that um, 
my liver is diseased. So I can't have like an ablation or a resection where they just take out part of your liver. And plus my liver is covered in lesions. So it's not like they can just cut out one right. lobe and the other lobe will grow back. Um, so what I did was I found out about these liver transplants that were going on for metastasized cancer patients. And what it is, is basically the requirements are that as a recipient, that you have to have your um, cancer contained to your liver. So it can't be anywhere else. That's why I had the colon resection to make sure that there was no cancer left in my colon. They've done a PET scan to make sure that no other cancer was anywhere else in my body. When they did the surgery on my colon, the surgeon actually went in and looked all around to make sure that there was nothing suspicious that the scans weren't taking up on, didn't see anything. So right now I am a candidate for a liver transplant. And for metastasized cancer patients, there's only been 41 done in the U.S. as of the end of last year. Wow. So it's a pretty new process. It's only been around for about four or five years. And what they do is they, you need to find, as a, re, as a recipient, you need to find your own donor. It's a living donor. And most people are aware that they can donate a kidney because they got two and right. you can live with one. But what most people aren't aware of is your liver. You can donate part of your liver and it will regenerate to 100% within eight to 10 weeks. Oh, wow. It's, it's a remarkable organ in the body. I mean, it, right. and so anybody can, um, so that's the process I'm in right now is searching for a, a liver donor to give me part of their liver. They take mine out, put that part in mine, and then my recovery is a little bit longer. It still regrows within eight to 10 weeks, but the whole recovery process, because it's a foreign organ in my body, will be a, a lifelong journey for right. me. Um, but I, you know, right now that timsliver.com is a site that just gives people information on what the donor can look like. So okay. um, just to go through really quick, I'm O positive blood. So any O or A blood can call. I okay. mean, they're not automatic, but they're, you know, any A or O blood can call. Um, I'm about 6'1". So anybody about 5'10 to 6'4". If you're a female, what I've recently learned is your liver volume is a little bit larger than in men. So if you're a woman donating to a man, you can be a little bit shorter. So if you're around 5'7", five, 5'8", five, as a woman, you can still be eligible. Um, you can't have any signs of heart disease, uh, kidney, liver disease, any forms of cancer or diabetes. So that's basically the requirements. I mean, obviously you need to be in good physical and mental health as well, but that's basically the requirements and the information for the, the hospital, the number, you just give them my name and birth date, all that's on the website. And so if you're, if you're listening to this, if you're hearing it, if you say, man, this would be amazing to help a, another human being like this and give the gift of life, um, just call University of Rochester um, Medicine up in Rochester, New York, and tell them, you know, you want to, you're interested in being a donor for me. And uh, I'm a big believer. And this is like what I've learned. I think it's helped me cure. And it's also helped me believe that I'm going to find a donor. And I told the donor team on my call back in March that my liver was going to come from a stranger. Yeah. Because I believe in how we're all interconnected and it only takes one person but it takes like a whole community to find that one person. And so by us doing this, I feel like this is the community and that one person is going to be listening. That's awesome. Yes. So any of my listeners that are listening today, I just urge you just go to timsliver.com. Take a look at it. I've already been there. It's got all the information on it. And 
who knows, maybe you're a match. Maybe this is something that you are willing to do uh, and helping out. It's such a noble thing to do as well. So just want to encourage my listeners to go do that. And, and even if you can't, if you're not a match, if you're not willing to donate, if you're willing to share, that yeah. helps just as much as being a donor for me. So <laughs> Exactly. We'll share it on all our media sites, and I'll encourage my listeners right now to share <laughs> this as we're doing this, okay? So, well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the air with us today. We're running out of time. I, I just really appreciate it. And to my listeners, until next time, just keep being intentional. 